entre tambores va la luna solitaria fiesta de la Colombia in Indonesia is created and produced by the Embassy of Colombia in Indonesia with the main goal of discussing culture, trade, traditions and related topics between both countries. Welcome back everyone to the podcast Colombia in Indonesia. In this episode we will talk with another fascinating guest, a Colombian social communicator who survived a natural disaster in Colombia and witnessed an his a historic confrontation between two native groups upon arrival in Indonesia. His name is Muhammad Bahrum Bustillo. Muhammad, how are you? Uh, fine, thank you, Nicolas. Uh, thank you very much for your invitation to participate in this podcast today. Thank you very much for your time. We really appreciate it. Let's start the interview, Muhammad. Uh, tell me, what are you doing? What were you doing in Colombia before coming to Indonesia? Um, Before I came with Indonesia, to Indonesia with my wife, uh, Daniela, we were living in the coffee region of Colombia, more precisely uh, in the Quindío province, um, near the capital, Armenia. Uh, that, that was a period where we were living there for near two, three years, uh, during the time of the earthquake in 1999. Okay, and can you tell me a little bit more about how was the experience of um, having to live through the earthquake in 1999? Yeah, okay, yes, it was kind of a unique experience. Um, we we basically arrived to to Colombia from Portugal um, uh, like two weeks before the earthquake. So we, we moved all our life from Europe to Colombia again, and then we got the earthquake. So It actually was kind of unexpected that uh, it was a radical change. Um, we were living in, when we moved to Colombia, we were living in, in uh, near Armenia, in the countryside. And after that, basically, we were asked to help with their earthquake relief program organized by the institution we were working with, uh, Amanecer Foundation. And at the time, I was like uh, the coordinator of the program. So uh, I think it was a very difficult experience because mm -hmm. it was a tragedy. And many people died and there was a lot of destructions. So, so it was a kind of a unique experience. You never are prepared for the situation like this. Of course, I understand. We have had the chance to talk about this a difficult event in a previous episode of the podcast if you are interested in listening on listening to it please check the episode we did with Therese the uh, voice she was also living the in Colombia during that time so Muhammad you told me that you were living in Armenia in the capital of Quindío one of the regions of Colombia right right in the middle of the coffee triangle of Colombia and you also mentioned you were living there with your wife we, uh, she's a Portuguese woman Can you share with us how did you end up marrying a Portuguese woman in Colombia? Well, um, we were working in this foundation called Amanecer, and which uh, built a center uh, near Armenia and and was the place for an international world congress in 1993. Mm -hmm. So many people from different countries came to Colombia to help to the development of that place. And the, and the organization of the Congress. 
So we had people from America, from United States, from Canada, from Mexico, from Ecuador, from Spain, from Portugal, and and let's say that was the the reason why somehow we met, and then we became friends, and we were working for a couple of years in this project, and then yeah, we we decided to get married. That that was basically the, the way it happened. Um, th- this place was. Um, basically an international center and Anna Manesel Foundation was like the organization in charge of the management. I see. Thank you very much for that. Now, uh, to close our, our previous topic about the Armenia earthquake in 1999, uh, I just want to explain our audience that the 1999 Armenia earthquake was uh, occurred on the 25th January 1999 in the region of Colombia known as the Coffee Triangle. The earthquake had a magnitude of 6.2 And it totally destroyed several towns and left more than 1,900 dead people. So that's why we refer to it as a very big and damaging um, tragedy that happened during that time. Muhammad, uh, after the earthquake, what where did you go? What did you do after that? Well, I'm, I'm, during that period of time, let's say, we in a miraculous way we survived that because we were planning to go to the city at the time of the earthquake with a couple of friends and and let's say for those things that are God's will you we just just avoid to go, the, to, go to the city and and then we were in a situation when the only option was to leave the region or to stay and help those that survived and and we were Well, some of those that decided to stay, and during two years, basically we we established programs to assist uh, children in particular and and um, youngsters, and we were working with organizations like UNICEF, uh, the Red Cross, um, Save the Children, and and the local government. So it, it was a period where most our focus was to help to the re- recovery of, of that region and that was between January 99 to February 2001 that was basically what what we were doing after the the earthquake mostly that we dedicate our lives to to support people in in the region especially children All right uh that that's quite an impressive uh job that you did thank you very much for your your help on, on during those difficult times now i wanted to ask you what happened after that in 2001 you said you stayed there until 2001 where did you so go in, next yeah in 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 2000 yeah almost at the end of 2000 i i decided to to travel and i came the opportunity to visit indonesia for the first time And and then I really like it, and uh, I had some connection with Indonesia because we we are part of a, a spiritual movement called Subud, mm-hmm. and and I basically thought that it was a great opportunity to also learn more about that and the origins. So when I came to Indonesia, I met many friends and people, and and I really like it. It was it was a different culture, different. Lifestyle, and and I told my wife we should maybe move there as soon as possible. You know, so three years, three years, no, three months, three months later, <laughs> we were already in Indonesia. In Indonesia, it was kind of a quick decision, 
life was okay in Armenia. I, I mean, I must say, after two years, things were progressing well. Uh, we see even today the the change that came after the earthquake in the coffee region was amazing, and the the amount of progress and new activities. So actually, it was a very prosperous life uh, after that. But um, so we just decided to to have a new a new challenge, let's say. Muhammad, now that you mentioned Subud, I would like to refer our audience to the episode that we did with the um, former ambassador of Indonesia to Colombia, Mr. Priju Iswanto. He mentioned Subud also while um, we were doing his podcast. And now I would like to ask you a little bit more about Subud. Can you give our audience uh, a short definition of what Subud is? Basically, it's a spiritual movement that had his origins in Indonesia, Uh, and officially was registered in 1947 in, in Yogyakarta. And, and this organization has, uh, or movement has uh, offices in, in more than 80 countries, but the, 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 the headquarters are in Indonesia. In Colombia also, there are different, let's say, centers. And, and one of them was this one in, in, in Armenia. Uh, and basically, this organization, what is the aim is most, mostly to to promote, uh, let's say, that people have a good life, a right life, according with the will of God. So what what I think makes different this organization is that it's not a religion. It's more an organization that is open and multicultural. So there are Muslims, there are Christians, there are Catholics, there are Jewish, there are uh, Hindus. And that's something very unique because you see in these days, you know, always there are conflicts between religions and which one is more important. But actually, we we are a multi-religious organization, multi-ethnical uh, organization. And that, that's basically the definition of what is Subud. It's, it's, it, it comes from the word Susila Buddhidharma, which means basically to, to live, uh, to be a good person according with the will of God. You know, so yeah, that, say we, we try our be we try our best. <laughs> that's quite interesting and a, a beautiful philosophy. Now you mentioned that's a spiritual movement and not a religion because you, you also have people from many religions joining you. Now, based on your name, we we can um, deduct that you are a Muslim. Can you share with yes. us when did you had your first approach to Islam? Because When we were preparing to the for the interview, you told me that, uh, funny enough, you came to one of the countries with the biggest Muslim population in the world. You didn't have your first approach to Muslim uh, to Islam here. It was before in, in Colombia. So can you share the experience with us? Yes, yes. Um, well, I, I came from I come from a, from the from a family, especially from my mom's side, that was kind of traditional Colombian Catholic family. I, I was in a school that was extremely Catholic. My university was uh, basically famous because the connections with the Opus Dei, the Savannah University. Mm -hmm. And and in the 80s, around 1987, accidentally, I was with, with my oldest uncle from the side of my dad, and he he was already like in Islam, and then taking, you know, part of the... the Islamic community in, in Bogota. And by accident, we, he was going to the mosque and I was with him in the car and he asked me, 
Do you want to join or do you want to wait here? You know, it was a kind of accidental. And I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm here. Uh, I have nothing to lose. I'm, I'm actually, I'm curious, you know. So then I, I, I witnessed how was the prayer and I met people from different countries because all, all the embassies, especially from the Middle East, have um, Muslim members or people who is related to Islam. So it was kind of interesting, you know, people was very friendly and, and through the years, I, I really like it. I don't, I don't think there is a dramatic difference between one religion and another. All, all, all promote, uh, important values and actually are the same. And I think what, what calls my attention is that actually the history is very similar. I mean, the, the main religions come from the, same, let's say, ancestors, like we are talking about Ibrahim or Abraham or Moses, yeah. or, you know. So for me, it was interesting and what I didn't really enjoy more was the practice. So actually in 1997, 87, that was the, my first approach to, to Islam. Thank you, Mohammed, for sharing that nice experience with us. Now, let's go back to you, when you first came to Indonesia. So you share with us that you came in 2001 for three months and then uh, for a short trip first and then you fell in love with Indonesia and you told your wife that it would be very nice to, to live here and then three months afterwards you moved to, to Kalimantan to Palang, uh, Palangkaraya, right? But yes. um, tell us what happened, when, what happened when you moved here because you moved during a very troubling time for the region. Yes, well... I came in for the first time in November 2000, mm -hmm. and then in February 2001 we arrived with my wife here in in Central Kalimantan, um, in Palankaraya. That, at that time, we, we were not too aware that there was kind of a conflict, <laughs> a very uh, more than a conflict. There was a war between two groups, the the local uh, people from Kalimantan are the Dayaks. Mm -hmm. And they were having a fight with people from a different island called Madura. And and basically, I think the issue was about business, respect, culture, traditions. And so it was, it was a very complicated issue, difficult to understand. And precisely the day we arrived, the conflict exploded in the city. Uh, so it was kind of a very difficult Uh, situation and um, after that happened after the conflict was resolved what was life for you in Indonesia how, how did your life went through after that well that, because the, the conflict last I don't know like three or four months I mean there were killings no, no, not exactly how many people uh, we were relatively safe but uh, we were short of food and certain things, especially freedom. And at the time, even that everything became peaceful, there was it was difficult because things were not uh, well organized locally. People still was concerned if the war was really finished or not. So like for four months or more, there, nothing was happening here. Basically, we were just uh, looking around trying to be okay, but it was difficult to try to do something. So for four or five months, there was not too much happening. 
just up till, until maybe July, things became more normal. Uh, there was more more activity in the city, more trading, more events, more public life. But for a long time, actually, it was a kind of very uh, strange situation because no life was not normal uh, quickly. I see that. That's very interesting. Uh, Mohamed, you have been living there for 21 years now because you moved in 2001, right? And during that time, you established yourself there, your family established there, and then you have been doing a very interesting job um, around soccer because I know yet that you're a huge lover of the of that sport. Can you share with us what what uh, what have you been doing with soccer in the region? Yes. Uh, anyway, since we arrived, this was a place with not too many possibilities or options for entertainment. So we start to promote, let's say, or to play football, to make friends. And uh, initially it was more like a hobby. And then in 2015, in 2015, uh, we decided to open a, a soccer academy and uh, we um, uh, create a foundation, uh, like a non-profit organization to be the umbrella of this project. Mm -hmm. and, and initially we start uh, very small. We start with 14 kids and, and, and by the end of that year, we have already hundreds. And in our first uh, training center. And then through the years, we opened two more centers in, in the region. And today we have around 320 participants in the soccer academies. Most of the, these kids are from low-income families. You know, they, are not, they, don't have, they don't pay, or many of them don't have shoes or sometimes they don't have even lunch before they come to practice. So we, we have different programs. One of them is nutrition and health. Uh, some of them cannot afford to go to school. We provide, so we provide the scholarships. And for the oldest, we provide English and computer training in agreement with another uh, organization called Jaya Sanu um, So that was basically the, the development of the project in terms of like a soccer academy. And, and simultaneously, we start to work with the local schools. So today we have agreements with more than 40 institutions. So we work with, with what we call in Colombia preschools, kindergartens. Mm -hmm. We work with primary schools and secondary schools. Uh, so we have programs where we our coaches go to the schools to work, to coordinate the sports activities. We have an English program with tutorials when kids learn about English and football. Uh, we have workshops about child protection and environment and anti-drugs and alcohol campaigns. Mm -hmm. And through that particular program with these schools, We reach more than 3,000 children. Uh, so we combine, let's say, we combine what is the sport also with, with those these other important aspects that involve education and, and health. Can you uh, share with us and with the audience what's the name of the foundation that you, you 
created so we can look for it and maybe someone if if they yeah. want to support and follow you they can they can do it yeah, the, the, the name is 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 Borneo Football International Foundation and we we have YouTube channel we are in Instagram we are in Facebook and and also we have the Borneo Football International Academy so we have the two the two options okay. to look in in social media Borneo Football International Academy. Okay, that's great. Now, Muhammad, you mentioned that when you were back in Armenia, you were working for a foundation that what uh, helped to take care of children, and then you also worked in that after the earthquake. And then now that you are here, you also started a foundation that's helping children uh, get uh, education and, and nutrition and do something productive with their their free time. Can you share with us what? How did you find that? love for kids and why do you keep through your whole life working with kids and helping helping kids in it i think since since i was young i i had the opportunity to to be volunteering different projects and programs also i was volunteering a foundation in the in the south of bogota in Suacha. it was a school that was attending like 400 kids mostly of them displaced by the violence in colombia Um, I don't know. I just, I always feel like, especially I think when, when you come with a, from a country with so many social problems, you become more responsible and, and you want to take action and do, and do something for, for the people. Mm -hmm. So when, when, when I went to university, I learned many things and also I had, I had good experiences there and, and I had the opportunity to continue my studies in Portugal. So I, I got a kind of like a scholarship from the European Union. So I, I learned also about man, management for no profits and fundraising. So also that was a compliment because it's very, it's very, it's not easy to do charitable work if you don't have money. So, so I, that, that was one of the important aspects I gave attention in the early days. I, I think for me it's natural. You know, I don't think we, no, no one should feel or be kind of special because he's doing this because actually I believe we all should be doing it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, a, it's, it's, that, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's something that should be in our hearts as a human. Uh, we, we should always help our neighbor, you know, help support our families, but also support those that are in need. You know, one, you know, one of the, the reasons why, for example, I am, I enjoy very much uh, be part of, of Islam, let's say, mm -hmm. is that, for example, when, when you finish the, the famous month of Ramadan, when people is fasting, you are supposed to give a donation to the poor. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and normally you, it's not an obligation, let's say, but it's something that just happens spontaneously. You know, like how oh, it's so good to help people. And I think it's actually very rewarding. You know, some people believe that it's a sacrifice because you have to give something from that it belongs to you, maybe money or, I don't know, clothes or food. But actually, the the reward and satisfaction is bigger than anything else. Uh, that's what has been my experience. So, uh, you know, I think I think we, we should encourage people to always help uh, others. Older people, women, kids, you know, handicapped people. You know, we, we need to be, to encourage society to be more 
more supportive. Okay, thanks. I, I agree with you on that. Thank you very much for that, that very nice message. Muhammad, let's uh, finish today with one question that I've been doing to all of our second season guests in the podcast, and that's how do you keep your Colombian and Portuguese, in this case, because your your wife is Portuguese, uh, traditions alive in your life here in Indonesia? For, for people, it's more like things we used to do in our different countries. Uh, so, if, uh, you know, one of them, of course, is food. Mm-hmm. So I think in Indonesia there are many recipes of things that are close to ours, but not the same. So we, t- we try always to, to, especially when we go to Jakarta, to buy some um, ingredients that could help us to, to keep those recipes similar, like, Ajiaco, Sancocho, things like that, that sometimes are not available here in Kalimantan. Like the Ajiaco, we have four kinds of different potatoes, and it's not easy to find that in Indonesia, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, so, so food is complicated, but, you know, every time there is an opportunity to have a visitor or guest from Colombia or, or, or a place when we can buy some of these ingredients or like areparina, arepas, the... the Uh, so let's say food has been okay, more relatively, more or less, you know. Uh, the other, I think I would say great aspect of our traditions of culture is the football, you know. We, we are close to football, definitely. We are every day working for this project and, and, and be close to football, and we had the opportunity now with so much technology to follow our local teams or national teams or... That's another aspect that clearly we we are fanatics of football in our countries. It's, it's a reality. Other aspect is music. In here, no, really, people have the, the, the... Here is not too much international, especially in provinces like Kalimantan. Mm-hmm. But as you know, in Indonesia, people love karaoke. And when we have the time to participate in those things, we obviously come with our, how you call our Colombian uh, traditions and music, and especially we are more like Vallenato style. Okay. <laughs> it's our the one that, that we like more. Our folklore, yeah. It's music, it's, it's football, it's food. So, we, you know, it's the way we maintain. Of course, we speak, fortunately, my wife speaks Spanish. I also understand Portuguese. So we, also in terms of language, we maintain our tradition. And yeah, we we are Colombians, 100%. percent. Okay. Portuguese, percent. <laughs> okay, yeah. that's great, great to hear. Thank you, Muhammad. Uh, thank you very much for your time. Yeah. Thank you for what the what yeah. job that you did during your time in Armenia. Thank you for the job you've, you've been doing for the kids in Kalimantan, and of course, thank you for being our guest today in the podcast. Yes, Nicolas. Thank you very much for your invitation. Hope hope to see you soon. Okay, have a nice day. Don't forget to follow us on social media. You can find us in Facebook and Twitter at MCOL Indonesia. That is E-M-B-C-O-L-I-N-D-O-N-E-S-I-A. And on Instagram at MCO Indonesia. E-M-B-C-O-I-N-D-O-N-E-S-I-A. To stay in touch with us. Please share this episode and we wait to hear from you in a brand new episode of Colombia in Indonesia. Muchas gracias. Terima kasih. Colombia in Indonesia is produced by the Embassy of Colombia in Indonesia.
directed and hosted by the cultural attache Nicolás Montoya, with the writing and editing support of Sebastián Rodríguez. Music by Sebastián Valdivieso. <laughs>